Welcome to Subtle Beast. This is the story of Skinwalker Ranch. The earliest mention of unexplained phenomenon in the region is from the late 1700s. Spanish explorers in search of the Spanish Trail passed through the Uinta Basin site of the future Skinwalker Ranch. They reported seeing craft in the sky over their campfires at night. Nearby Fort Duquesne was a 19th century U.S. Army fort, but is now a town. This is reservation country. The ranch is surrounded on three sides by the Uinta Ute Reservation. In the early 19th century, the Navajo claimed the basin and future ranch site as their own. The plentiful fresh water and prime hunting grounds were paradise to the Diné, a tribe, as they called themselves. But eventually, the aggressive Ute attacked, selling the Diné to the Spanish as slaves and claiming the sweet water and game as their own. The Diné retaliated with a curse in the form of a spirit that could shapeshift from wolf to human to anything it wanted, a skinwalker. From that point on, Native people deemed the Uinta Basin unholy ground. Indigenous people wouldn't ask the question. They wouldn't even say the word in fear of attracting one, a skinwalker, is one of the several varieties of Navajo witch. Navajo witches represent the antithesis of Navajo culture. Seen as evil and manipulating magic in a perversion of the good works that the medicine men and women usually perform. Legends say that a skinwalker is a medicine man or woman who commits a terrible act, such as killing a relative to gain supernatural powers. Skinwalkers are always related to an animal, such as a wolf, owl, crow, or coyote. But they have the ability to shapeshift into any animal they choose. They are known to knock on doors, bang on walls, peer through windows, attack livestock, and harass unexpecting humans by appearing and disappearing. Legends of skinwalkers can be found across the American Southwest in the Navajo, Apache, Hopi, Santa Clara, Ute, and Zuni cultures. Skinwalker Ranch in the 1930s was bought by a young family named the Myers. Little was known about the Myers, but they occupied the ranch for 49 years. In the summer of 1994, Terry and Glenn Sherman had found their dream ranch. The 480-acre spread was a remote little paradise. It would be a fine place, they thought, to raise their teenage son and nine-year-old daughter. They were puzzled why such a prime piece of land had been sitting vacant for seven years. The land bordered the Unital and Ute Indian Reservation and was protected. were the large circular impressions, which the Shermans kept finding in their pastures. One configuration formed a 30-foot triangle. Other circles were found measuring roughly three feet wide and one to two feet deep. The soil inside the holes was firmly impacted. About this time, Terry began having trouble with his prize-beating herd of cattle. Cows were dying under unexplained circumstances. In April of 1995, the weirdness dramatically escalated. While checking his cattle one evening, Terry saw a silent, glowing object pass over a 50-foot-tall stand of poplar trees that fringed one of their fields. A few days later, Gwen saw another unexplained flying object. It looked like headlights, 
but they were a little ways away from the craft. It just lit the whole side of the mountain up like it was a broad daylight. Terry started examining this odd cattle deaths more closely. The first cow found dead shortly after a UFO sighting showed only a hole in the center of its left eye. Predators had not touched the carcass, and Sherman noted a chemical smell in the vicinity. A short term later, a second cow was found dead with the same hole in the left eyeball. With both these animals, Terry had taken a wire and inserted it into the hole to gauge its depth. In both cases, the wire slipped in easily to the center of the brain. Also during this time, some of the Sherman's cows started disappearing. As Terry said, we contacted everyone around. We looked everywhere. They just vanished. In one instance, Terry followed the tracks of the cow in fresh snow. The tracks just stopped under some trees at the edge of a field. The area around the animal's last steps was surrounded by a circle of fresh twigs and branches, which Terry could see had come from the trees above. During the next few months, the Shermans observed a variety of craft and a multitude of activity. The most spectacular aerial phenomenon they observed was described by Terry. We would see these 100-foot circular openings appear in the air. It was like four orange-colored doorways would sort of spiral open. Looking through a high-powered scope, the Shermans watched a smaller craft would emerge from the hovering portals, fly around the property, and then re-enter the doorways. The Shermans described the stealthy smaller craft as being 60 by 40 feet and squarish with short wings. The smaller craft looked like they were flying a grid. They also appeared to emit spikes of light which would hit the ground. The, Sh the Shermans thought this to be some sort of navigational system. In a rare occurrence, the Sherman's son found a mutilated cow within five minutes of its death. The young man had seen the gentle Ag Angus eating peacefully and returned moments later to find it dead. The cow's rectum had been cored out with a six-inch wide hole that was eight inches deep. During that summer, Terry and his son and his nephew had heard unintelligible voices while standing in a nearby pasture. The sound, which they first assumed to be echoes of a CB radio, seemed to emanate out of the air, directly above them. As they listened more closely, they could distinctly hear two voices speaking in an unknown language, which Terry described as a choppy, anti-halting, like a cross between Russian and Native American. One voice had a deep, resonant tone, and the other was higher-pitched. Terry yelled into the air, We can hear you! The voice stopped momentarily, and the deeper voice broke out into a low, rumbling laugh. The conversation then went on as before. By the fall, events seemed to be moving toward a climax. Seeing the lights in the field one night, Gwen grabbed her binoculars. Focusing in, she was shocked to see a square-lighted structure sitting on the ground. Before the light blinked out, Gwen caught a glimpse of a very large, heavy-set individual seated in the object. A short term later, the craft appeared again. This time, both she and Terry watched through a 60-power spotting scope. They could see a figure standing next to the object. Terry described the person as being over 7 feet tall and decked out in total black, uniform, and very huge. The Shermans noted that being appeared, the being appeared to have a visor or something shiny on its face because of the way the light glinted 
from its head area. In the case of the Skinwalker Ranch, an unusual wolfish canine seems to be the spirit's preferred manifestation. Described as a huge wolf, the creature has traits that observers say are not normal, such as walking upright, running on all fours with an erratic crooked gait, and brazenly approaching humans in broad daylight. Researchers who analyze drawings and photos of the creature say it most likely resembles the extinct dire wolf. Fearless, the massive wolf also seems bulletproof. In 1994, Gwen and Terry Sherman purchased the ranch and moved their family and livestock to the site. The day they took possession, as they were unpacking, they spotted an enormous coyote or wolf in one of their pastures. Strangely, the animal approached them, and the family members began to pet it. It had been a rainy day, and the Sherman said the creature smelled like a wet dog. After a few minutes, the quote-unquote wolf sauntered over to a livestock pen and grabbed a calf by the nose, trying to drag it through the corral bars. Terry Sherman and his father beat the animal to make it release the calf. When that failed, Sherman shot the animal with a 357 Magnum at point-blank range, and it kept its jaws on the calf. After another shot, it released the calf but didn't run, and it stood watching the family. Sherman continued shooting, but there was no blood or sign of injury on the animal, although it began to back off. Sherman grabbed a hunting rifle, 30 6 and shot again at point-blank range. Finally, a shot produced a piece of skin and hair from the wolf, but the animal was still calm. After a few more shots from the 30-06, it trotted across a pasture into a wet, brushy area. Sherman tracked it for more than a mile, but the trail vanished. Those that were there that day recalled the remaining hair and flesh had a foul smell, like rotting meat and combined with a musky fox scent. Poltergeist activity was reported by the Sherman family. The matriarch of the Sherman clan stated she often came home with groceries, unpacked them, and later discovered all the food was repacked into the shopping bags. The family also reported missing or moved objects, such as a hairbrush that was found in the freezer when it had last been seen on the bathroom counter. The Shermans heard voices in a language they could not understand and spotted shadows in the house. The Shermans had lost some 14 expensive high-end cattle. It destroyed them financially and emotionally. There was also a predator-like being that tormented them, including a never-return visitor that they had over. The being ran up to the visitor and roared so loud it could be heard for miles. In fear, he grabbed Rancher Terry and didn't want to ever let him go. The man was never to return. The intelligent entities at the ranch had a mischievous demeanor. They would make items, some very heavy, disappear and reappear in unusual places like up in a tree. On an April afternoon, on a quick trip to town passing their bull's corral, Terry mentioned to his wife in regard to their losses, if they ever lost their four prized bulls, that they would be in trouble. Upon returning, shortly after the trip to their shock, they found their bulls gone. A frantic search began, finding them nowhere. He resorts to looking inside a trailer with one door secured with a thick wire in place. 
Inside were his four bulls, jammed in there like sardines, in some sort of trance-like state. Cobwebs on the inside of the doorway were undisturbed. It would have been very hard to get one in there, but all four? There's simply no way that anyone could coax those four bulls into that trailer. Six of the family's cats vanished one night. All of the family had witnessed UFOs. The first one they spotted even resembled a broken-down RV by their third homestead. When they approached it to offer their assistance, it started silently drifting up into the sky. Obviously, it was no RV. In a scenario straight out of a Stephen King novel, the Shermans noticed another peculiar feature of the old place. The inside of every door in the house was outfitted with a heavy deadbolt. At the center of the house was a hallway area with its access doors bolted. In the hallway was a closet with a deadbolt on the inside of the closet door. Much more eerie phenomena soon began to plague the Shermans. The family started noticing glowing blue balls moving around the property. The blue balls gave off a crackling sound, seemed intelligently controlled, and could either hover or move unbelievably fast. One evening, the Shermans watched as the blue ball approached one of their horses. The light hovered within a foot of the horse's face, spooking it greatly. From a distance of ten feet, Gwen shined a flashlight on the blue globe, and it retreated. It then approached Terry, as if inspecting him. Terry described it as a glass ball about the size of a baseball, which appeared to contain two blue fluids which intermingled with each other. As Terry told, with a slight tremble in his voice, that was the scaredest I had ever been in my life. Later that evening, the dreaded blue ball returned. This time, it hovered in the face of a cow. Again, the globe retreated, and the Sherman's three dogs, after some coaxing, took off, chasing it, snarling hot in its pursuit. Gwen and Terry watched as the dogs followed the glowing globe into a wooded area. They lost sight of the ball, and then they heard a piercing yelp. The three dogs did not return. Deciding that discretion was the better part of valor, the Shermans decided to wait until morning to investigate. The next day, Gwen and Terry found three burned circles in the woods. In the center of each circle, they discovered a greasy glob of what looked to be shortening or butter. The trees above the burned rings also had scorched appearance. According to Terry, the grass eventually grew back, but the tree limbs died. The butterized dogs were the final straw for Gwen and Terry. We just couldn't go on without our dogs, Terry said. Feeling that they could no longer guarantee the safety of their children, they decided to call it quits. They would put up the place for sale and leave the hellish ranch. Welcome back to Subtle Beast, everybody. Of course, I am your host, Folt, sitting here with my main man, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. Steve, what would you think of the beginning part of the podcast of Skinwalker Ranch? 
Oh man, that was so much fun. Just a couple stories there, some spooky Halloween type stuff going on. I loved it. Yeah, we were just uh, we wanted to do this story for quite some time, and um, you know now that we're around the uh, the Halloween time of year, we thought that we would drop uh, the Skinwalker Ranch because you know not only is it a fascinating story. Um, just learning about the people that have lived there and the people that have investigated it. Uh, I got to give them props because it sounds pretty terrifying. Well, I mean, the thing about it was that a lot of this stuff has been corroborated with so many people out there, hundreds of people that have been on this Skinwalker Ranch have all seen the same stuff. They've all seen the same stories, kind of focal point around the Sherman family, but there's so many corroborating witnesses out there that you have to believe that this stuff is actually happening. Well, sure. I mean, the the Sherman family, what, they they lasted two years at the yeah, ranch about two years but the the prior the myers they were there for what 29 30 years yeah some thir- 40 years then the, the the guy died mr myers died and then the wife lived there for seven more years and they didn't have any kids it was just her there see i think they probably wouldn't have lasted as long as they did out there had they had children these people were just like you know what that's just something beyond us. We don't know. And maybe if we leave it alone, it'll leave us alone. Right. And they had all the doors padlocked and they had they, uh, they had dog stations set up. They had like all four corners of the property posted up with dogs. So the Myers family made it there for a long time. Right. And one, one thing that I found interesting during this research was um, that when the Shermans purchased the home from the Myers, that in the contract, it stated that if the Shermans were ever to do or wanted to do any digging on the property they had to contact him and consult him with that first so i mean that goes hand in hand with some of the uh, stories we've heard that if you are trying to invoke the skinwalker there's different things that you can do um a newcomer to the town a stranger maybe one if there's some some new person comes on to the property that's going to spark a little uh parent paranormal activity right making a bunch of different noise and or having a fire and causing chaos and um some of the people that were going out there looking for trouble looking for this stuff actually went out there and created fires right in the center right in the epicenter of all this paranormal activity and they used large earth digging machines to make a lot of commotion in hopes to spark up something uh paranormal but whatever is there at skinwalker ranch whether it be extraterrestrial paranormal multi-dimensional or uh something of of a combination of all of those things um it, it just it's, it's it's very interesting i mean like i was saying it, it would be a, a a scary situation to be in and i think that these entities are a little bit well i don't want to say not a little bit uh, a, a ton more intelligent than anybody i guess is giving them credit for because uh when people are trying to invoke the skinwalker or whatever presence is there it's aware that there's cameras there. They're not going to let you catch or capture some hardcore evidence right there. I mean, the Shermans, for example, they were coming home and they were talking about, I hope nothing ever happens to our prize bulls. And they come home and they can't find them. Then to only find them in this precarious situation inside of a, a trailer that not like one bull you couldn't get into, but all four were in there. You know, Foltz, one of the things that I try to steer clear from in my life, a topic that I don't do a lot of research in is, uh, you know, demonic possession and poltergeists. It's something that doesn't really 
sit with me well it kind of irks me so when we started doing the research on skinwalker ranch and i thought it was leaning in that direction it really i didn't want to dig too far into it but the more stories i read about this place the more i got interested in it this place has got a dark dark cloud over it yeah and you know nobody can say for sure what it is in my opinion it's it, it it's not it doesn't come across as demonic as much as it comes across as um you know something else multi-dimensional or something extraterrestrial that uh you know just doesn't want any type of interference uh the portals that they come through is something that they need to do to carry on with their own agenda and they probably look at us as more or less messing things up because it goes back as far as what 1700s the Ute Indians were reporting and when it comes down to the Native Americans and the Ute Indians they don't want any part of the skinwalker they don't want to talk about the skinwalker the Nothing. Utes the Utes actually uh that still live there formed a money pool when they realized that the Shermans bought the house back in 1994 and the longest that any of the Utes thought that the Shermans would make it was a year and a half that was the highest in the money pool was a year and a half so they made it longer than the Utes thought they were going to right yeah they they certainly did and I mean and the story doesn't stop with the Shermans I mean the the, the story even to this current day it's just getting started but with the shermans when they decided to leave what was it 96 yep 96 96 they sold out to a billionaire named robert bigelow who some of you might be familiar with who owns uh, bigelow aerospace uh in in nevada and has done a lot of important things with NASA, creating things for the International Space Station, um, has just been a ufologist his entire life. I mean, he just, that's why he had gotten involved with Skinwalker Ranch. And what, he purchased the ranch and all 480, 500 acres for what, $200,000? Right. Robert Bigelow, a businessman interested in ufology, bought the property from the Shermans in the late 90s where he erected an observation building. He also had someone watch out for the property 24-7 and brought two scientists plus a veterinarian. So this guy comes in, you know, billionaire, Las Vegas billionaire, and buys this place for two hundred grand. Yeah, and he has got the complete setup. So he's got he's bringing in scientists, he's bringing in veterinarians. So he eventually he he they start their own investigation team, right? And uh, called NIDS, I believe. Right. So he he forms NIDS. They keep a twenty four hour surveillance on the place, and they just run it for ten years. They're and basically what I'm what I'm gathering is that they're trying to they they've taken all the stories, and this ufologist wants proof. That's what he wants. Yeah, and he wants uh, you know undeniable proof. And one of the things that Robert Bigelow and his team had stated over their years of investigation was that they couldn't get any, they couldn't find anything quantifiable because nothing that would happen. Every experience that took place on the ranch was unique. So there was no timeline that they could try and follow. Like, let's let's get the cameras up because we know that X is going to happen at 8.42 p.m. None of that. Everything was just completely random and just one event just as bizarre as the next. Right. So this this whatever this thing is that's out there manifests itself in so many different ways. You got your, your blue orbs. Uh, you got your dire wolf. You got the... 
and they said that you could actually feel it when there was uh, something about to happen, that there was a, a feeling that was in the air out there. And a lot of times it would just be when, you know, they were doing nothing or they were just observing or just being out there. But when the cameras would roll, that's when everything would just not happen. Right. And I would have to say, I mean, to be the Shermans and to have the experience that they had the day that they moved in yeah. would just be, I mean, here you think, oh, what is that off there in the, in the pasture, a coyote or a wolf? But here it comes and it's much bigger than your your regular wolf and it's raining out. It, it comes up to them. They pet it. It acts kind and then tries to just savagely pull a calf by its lips right through the gate. They shoot it point blank range with a 357 a few times, shoot it at point blank range and at a distance with a 30 odd six multiple times, only knocking off a little piece. Yeah, that's crazy, man. If to shoot something and see it not get hurt, you would freak out. Yeah, they didn't, though. The Sherman and his son grabbed their rifles and then went after the thing and, and tracked it until they came to like a like a creek and its paws just stopped right there and they they never found it and they came on on the way back they picked up the piece that they saw that they shot off and like they were saying it just looked like it was rotted moldy it looked like it had been like ancient around forever and well, like the story goes, that the description of the animal, they actually, the Shermans actually went in to see um, some type of wildlife specialist in describing the wolf. So the, the 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 specialist got out a book and said, okay, well, here's all the wolves in, in this area and this and that. Point to the one that represents, and they pointed to a dire wolf. They're like, that's it. That matches exactly. And they said, well, that has been extinct for 10,000 years. Right. And it, and it reared up on its rear legs. Right. Which makes you think that's just not normal. Well, then they'd seen it walking around on two legs as well. Right, right, right. I mean, some of the other fascinating stories that took place on on the ranch. Um, the one that comes to mind is about uh, when uh, the Shermans went to tag their their new calf that they had. Right, and uh, so. Uh, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Sherman are going out and onto their land to tag an, a new calf, which they do. They tag it, and then something distracted them, and they took a walk. I forget, maybe like 200 yards. Is that correct, Steve? Am I on the right? Yeah, the mother and the calf were together, and the Shermans were less than 200 feet away from the mother and the calf. That was just uh, grazing. They tagged it. It was grazing. Uh, they went to the other side of the corral, then turned around. They turned around and they went back to, you know, look at the calf and check it out. And the calf was completely flat out with its front and back legs completely to the side. Four broken legs. Yeah, completely. uh, Drained completely of all of its blood. They said it looked like a surgeon took a surgical vacuum inside the the cow's uh, opening and took every drop they couldn't even find drops of blood in the grass around it yeah exactly and they said that whatever had made the cuts in the uh to cut off the ears and such was was such precision no precision not from earth is what they were saying with the speed that it was done because they did it they turned their backs and then this thing was drained right surgical precision they it they cut the ears off the tag they just put on the ears were mutilated the organs were showing the legs were broken and they had just seen this cow minutes from then it was grazing 
That was a crazy story. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, uh, it just it goes on so f- so much further and so much more in depth. For example, there's another story that uh, came across and uh, entitled um, "Phantom Dogs and Hyenas." The canine theme is repeated in a story from the Bureau of Indian Affairs. The two BIA officials were patrolling near the ranch when they saw a pair of humanoid figures standing together on the side of the road. Weirdly, the officers swore the canids were standing upright, wearing trench coats and smoking cigarettes. The patrol pulled over and got out of the car. They looked at each other, but when they looked again, the dogs were gone leaving smoking cigarette butts on the ground. Researchers have found the story so unbelievable it has been excluded from published reports and articles. Jim Sherman witnessed another type of canine creature, saying that one day he noticed the horses in the corral were upset, frantically jumping and struggling to evade something. When Sherman approached to investigate, he discovered a creature-like hyena among the horses, slashing at them with its claws. Sherman said the animal was about 200 pounds with big bushy tail like like a fox he yelled and the thing jumped out of the corral and ran to skinwalker ridge above the ranch where it disappeared in broad daylight wow so i mean the the stories of the canines and the the wolves it seems like this thing is manifesting itself in that way a lot yeah i mean some this one uh interview i was watching with uh one of the researchers at skinwalker ranch um he was actually chosen to try and come and uh, provoke some of the activity because uh, he wasn't from the area. So right there, he hit the criteria of a newbie. Um, they did the making of fires and dancing around and chanting and singing, and they dug up the earth. But um, he didn't have any experience uh, out there, uh, because, of course, because they had cameras. Now, the friend that invited him out there he had had some pretty incredible stories and what this gentleman went on to say was one night his friend was out there camping uh you know near or around the property of skinwalker ranch and he was up like um on a like a big rock or maybe like at the like a hillside and he could say that from where he was camped he could see down to uh, like a dirt road or even a um you know a macadamed road and he was just looking down there. He's trying to go to sleep. And all of a sudden, he saw um, like a big dark circle just like open up like a portal. He said he was watching it in fascination. And then all of a sudden, he could see two dark hands that almost looked like claws come out of it, pull its body out of it, and uh, like fall because it was like, like, like eight feet off the ground was a portal. It fell onto the ground onto all fours and then just ran onto Skinwalker Ranch. And then he, when he lost sight of the creature, he looked back and he could see the black hole, the portal, and it just closed. There's a couple like that. Uh, There's another one. They took a physicist out there, and I don't know why a physicist was out there, but they were- Proof. They were, uh, yeah, they were were seeking, this is after Bigelow bought it. They were seeking proof, and they they get this guy out there in the the field, and they're using uh, night vision glasses. So it's him and another guy, and the other guy's kind of like the the host, and this physicist is looking- on the perimeter right about 200 feet from where they were and he's looking at the trees and he says to the guy something's coming over top of that tree and the guy doesn't have his goggles on so he's looking the physicist is looking at these trees and as this 
thing comes over the trees. He says, it looks like a dark cloud and it's kind of just forming and coming right at us. So the host gets his glasses on, he looks at it and he's, he's not able to really see. He's trying to load film in his camera and the physicist says it's coming right for us. So the guy tried to put a slow picture, a slow open uh low exposure picture open so that he can grab a picture of this dark cloud but it's getting closer faster and the physicist says it's coming it's coming at us right now i can feel it and then he says it's inside my head and the guy said what and he said i can hear it it's saying we're watching you it's in my head right now and the host is saying what can i do to help you then the guy's like i can feel it intensely right now and the guy's standing there but there's nothing he can do to help the physicist and then the physicist looks over at him and says i can feel it a little bit less now and he said that's good i hope that it goes away and he said i can actually feel it moving into the back of my head and out the other side of it and the guy said are you are you are you okay now and he said i can feel that cloud behind us so that that experience with the physicist feeling this dark cloud actually go from the outside of them into his mind and then back through the other side is just something that's consistent with the skinwalker range yeah another uh, another similar story where people actually hearing voices in their head was um one of the local residents um um, of the local town I believe it's Roosevelt there um, he was telling a story where he was up I, I don't know what he does for a living but he had a client really early in the morning and he sees his clients at his home and he said uh, they were just wrapping up so they were they were walking outside and he said he walked out in his backyard and when he looked up over his house there was this humongous craft he said it was probably you know you know 40 50 feet across um, and um, circular and kind of like um had like a a fin tail at the end he said but once he looked at it he heard in his head you're not supposed to be seeing this go back inside your children need you he said he heard this repeated over two or three times in his head he looked over at his client that he was with and he said i just have the feeling we need to go back inside and his client was in full ingredients and they just went back inside and they were just like completely shocked and stunned by what they had seen because it was like imagine standing in your backyard looking at your roof and there's this 50 foot craft right, right over your house and in it by telepathy saying you're not supposed to see this go back and then mentioning your children yeah there would have been like you remember on the cartoons when they used to bust <laughs> through the wall and there'd be the outprint of that that would have been me yeah i'm with you on that man tell telepathic communication from a craft that big would be scary as all get out yeah and i mean the stories that they say that if you go up to the local residents in this town that four out of five people will uh, probably have a personal experience that that they can share with you um what back in the i remember i'm trying to think of a story back in like 1970 1971 there was a there was a cop that just had started there near near Roosevelt and Skinwalker Ranch. And he said that right as he took the job there uh, is when a lot of the phone calls first started coming in, people seeing UFOs, people seeing disembodied figures, people seeing all kinds of different um, paranormal activity, um, just uh, you know, types of... Um, he said there was hundreds. That, that was Joseph Hicks. He, yeah. he said there was hundreds of of stories that he actually took as a police officer. And then afterwards, uh, he became a local teacher and also went around and interviewed just 
person after person. He said a lot of the locals out there are reluctant to speak to outsiders, but if you if you look at it, the majority of the people out there know exactly what's going on and have a story of their own that they can tell. Yeah, and there's just too much documentation. There's too much involvement in this. I mean, you have Bigelow with Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. Um, the program for um, for the aviation threat to, uh, prevention was a $22 million uh, budgeted project. And Robert Bigelow, he received much of that money. So that $22 million is coming from the Pentagon to Robert Bigelow to live on this property and say, investigate this and report back to us everything that you know. Bigelow's findings were that the UFOs seen in the area were not consistent with any military aircraft. Um, But on top of that, uh, when Bigelow and his team wrapped up uh, their investigations, they ended up selling now, Bigelow bought this ranch for $200,000, okay? So he, he was there 10 years. So right. You got some appreciation, so you're probably looking at a good, you could go for five, five fifty, maybe even $600,000 you could sell this place for. You would think maybe a double, triple in value? But if you had uh, maybe like a, a bigger investor, maybe a bigger whale, like say the United States government, uh, well, maybe a company called... Adamatium Holdings, you know, a shell corporation of unknown origin that says, you know what, we'll give you $4.5 million for the property. Fultz, why would somebody give $4.5 million for that property if if they didn't have proof? Right. And why is it a a corporation of unknown origin, Uh, just some holdings company? So, but the the $4.5 million, that was just the tip of the iceberg because now you can't even get into Skinwalker Ranch if you you tried. It's so, it's heavily militarized and you're not getting anywhere on there. You might get a drone on the property, maybe if you're lucky, maybe if the Skinwalker doesn't shoot it down. But, uh, yeah, nobody's getting in anymore, but people, the activity hasn't slowed down for the local residents of, of, of the Roosevelt area and the surrounding areas of Skinwalker Ranch, and it probably never will. No. Adamantium Holdings, I have a feeling, is uh, a government entity that bought that uh, that bought the, the ranch from Robert Bigelow, and I think that after those 10 years, you know, he probably ended up getting something, getting something on either footage or having some sort of scale that he could prove to the government, hey, you gave me this grant, this $22 million grant that I had the the budget for, and with that $22 million, I'm sending you back proof. And at that point, they were like, we're going to take over the ranch from now on. That's why we're giving you this $4.5 million. It's not from the U.S. government or the DOD. It's from Adamantium Holdings. It's a shell corporation with unknown origin. Right. It's basically, if you traced it, you would be chasing your tail forever. Right. It's probably bouncing back from Europe, Korea, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Constantly changing hands. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, but, but what seems weird is that also when Bigelow sells for $4.5 million, where is this all of his, his 10 years of research? Um, I would probably say it's like in that room at the end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark because, oh, Bigelow Aerospace now gets, he's got this uh, huge NASA contract where they're building stuff for the International Space Station, these pods and, um, all these different, uh, 
contractors from from the Navy and the Air Force are going to Bigelow Aerospace to big to build things and work on projects. And why would you say when they have all these different military bases and such? Well, the military bases are subject to um, the Freedom of Information Act, and Bigelow Aerospace, which is privately owned, is not subject to that. So it's brilliant. It's a brilliant way to cover up everything. Get him involved. Hire some civilian to do all the testimony and then classify it, pay him because, I mean, he's a businessman, but then give him contracts, keep paying him, and let's keep him under our thumb and make sure that he's not saying too much. Right. They forged a relationship with Bigelow, and now they know that he can be trusted, so they're giving him government contracts, NASA contracts. He's got those blow-up pods that you put on the space station. Right. How much do you think each one of those costs? Oh, do you see those on the internet? Yeah. They're amazing. They're amazing, and they can withstand the, the vacuum of space. So I can't imagine that they're very cheap. Each one of them is its own little environment. I mean, we don't have our way, quote unquote, to get into space with, with NASA right now. So we got to hitch rides to the International Space Station with Russia, and that costs us $73 million to catch it trip up there. So imagine what a part that you're adding on to the International Space Station costs. I mean, if you go up there and you got your own bedroom, especially, well, yeah, especially the way the government bills, you know, <laughs> right? Those things could $80 cost. for a hammer. Those things cost a hundred million dollars a piece and we'd buy a hundred of them. Oh yeah. We just say, just in case we need some extra, it's, uh, it, it's crazy. I mean, the, the story of Skinwalker Ranch, I mean, if you, if you're, if you look into it, it and there's, I don't think there's too much that you can doubt. I mean, there, I would I would love to see somebody that w- wanted to attempt to go out there kind of mock this but without cameras. Let's see what's going to happen to you. I, I'm not so sure that I want to be on the ranch now. I would like to be maybe out near the ranch and camp and just see what you see in the skies. Right. I wouldn't want to have any of the dire wolf or like the things that injure you or like the cattle mutilation occur to me. I'd love to see some of those 200 yard long double football field crafts that they said were flying over those fields oh yeah me too some of those orbs flipping around i'd love to see that kind of stuff but i would not want to feel that that negative feeling that happens right before one of these events well you know and a lot of people would like would probably say well i'd love to go out there and i'd love to see some of these events and I'd love to see what that guy was talking about when that portal opened. But if you think about that, if you think about what you're actually looking at, your brain can't wrap itself around that. As soon as you see it, your brain's going to start making uh, excuses. Like, well, maybe I'm not really seeing it. It's dark out and this and that because we don't see holes open up eight feet off the ground in thin air and these big black creatures crawl out and then run off towards the ranch and then the portal closes. That's not a story you're telling around the water cooler at work on Monday. But but you know what? Maybe in this town, people are just like, yeah. I saw the portal on yeah, Thursday night. Dude's like, well, what, Thursday around 1030? Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw that. <laughs> it's right after that uh, 50-foot boomerang craft flew over. And, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, nobody, I mean, nobody really knows. I mean, with all the research that's done and the documentation, I don't even know if they know. But they say now that a lot of the um, the research labs and stuff have moved underground now because they're so you know people can with satellites look at look at the ranch and they want everything to be just like a, just like in Roswell or or um, just like at Area Fifty One 
be a lot of people thinking it's not operational. I mean, they just moved everything underground. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, and and since our last podcast, I don't mean to get off topic real quick, but uh, I had a trip out to Colorado, and do yourself a favor if you're into the type of things that we are. Look up the uh, Denver International Airport and just look at some of the things on there. I'll, I'll put up on our Facebook page some of the pictures that I took. <clears throat> I think right now they're just trying to smack us in the face with the truth by trying to, it's kind of like a backhanded kind of truth, but they're like, oh, it's so blatant. We won't believe it, but we should because the best possible answer is usually the right one, the easiest one. So yeah, look into Denver International Airport. Crazy stuff going on out there for, for years, since 1995. But uh, so, I mean, I, I liked this topic a lot. I wanted to make sure that we did it and then we got it out for, you know, this time of year to good stories uh, to sit around. And uh, there's tons more that you can look into for Skinwalker Ranch on your own. Um, I highly recommend that you do it. Go out and look at some of the, the images out there. Look at some of the um, uh, the reports that have been done and some of the documentaries. Uh, there was one that just came out recently uh, this year and uh, it went number one on iTunes. And uh, I suggest checking that out. They go into full detail. It's, it's pretty amazing. Some of that imagery is crazy. They do have some, some uh, grainy type of imagery and video of some of the unexplained things that are happening out there. So do yourself a favor and check it out. So if you guys would like me and Steve to take a trip out there to <laughs> to uh, to the nearby um, uh, Skinwalker Ranch for a few days, we'll camp nearby, but maybe we'll have to get a GoFundMe page, but we'll do it. We'll document it. It would be amazing. And then report back. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> if we come back. Yeah, yeah. We could get snatched. Uh, we, yeah, we might have all our blood sucked from us and our ears <laughs> surgically taken off. But in all seriousness, yeah, that 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 would be a creepy place to live. I don't think I'd last. After I shot a dire wolf with 30-odd six, I'm out. Yeah, that whole uh, basin, the Uinta Basin is just a hotbed for UFOs and crazy stuff yeah so i hope you guys enjoyed tonight's uh, podcast as, as much as we did we wanted to have a little fun with it tonight mix it up a little bit and uh give you guys something to uh enjoy the halloween season if you will but um till next time i'm folds and i'm steve and we'll see you take care of one another bye-bye